tells the story of the world and of our lives. Sometimes that history goes bump in the night. Broadcasting from the center of oddity and the supernatural in Central Florida, it's the History Goes Bump podcast. Hello, you spooktacular people. Welcome to this 42nd episode of the History Goes Bump podcast. Ghost tours for the theater of the mind. I am your host, Diane. And this is Denise. And on this episode, we bring you Lep Castle. Denise, I know that when we were telling people we were going to do the show in the last podcast, we said Leap Castle. It's actually pronounced Lep. I know. We figured that out. And so, but it is spelled like Leap, like a frog would leap. Or maybe frogs Lep. That frog just leapt across the floor. Yeah, I don't think so. He leapt at him with passion. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to start using leap instead of leap. Hey, we do want to thank Barry for sending us a wonderful email telling us that he really enjoys the show. We greatly appreciate that. We want to point you all towards the historygoesbump.com website. It is brand new, up and running. I still have to get all of the archives up in there. But the front page is done, and all the other pages are pretty much done. It's just the archive that I'm a little behind on. And my lovely co-host and your favorite podcaster did an amazing job on the website. So go over and check it out because it's very user-friendly, and it's absolutely gorgeous. Yeah, I wanted it to do a little bit more of a pop to it because it looked so boring before. Yeah, so I think bags should pop. She thinks websites should pop. But But either way... (laughs) That's right. I'm more into the uh, web than I am into bags. You don't want a designer bag for your birthday? No. Okay. And the website is where you can find everything you'd want to know about the show, where you can find us on social media, where you can listen to the show, how you can get a hold of us. And one of those ways, Denise, is at our historygoesbump at gmail.com. And, of course, we always like to tell you all that we'd love to get your reviews at iTunes and Stitcher. Helps us in the rankings if you would do that. Well, Denise, I'm looking forward to going back to Ireland and checking out another castle there. And this one has a rich history. And um, the hauntings are very interesting as well. I think people are going to really enjoy this show. If you get creeped out with some of the scary stories, we're going to creep you out with this one. And any of our Irish listeners, we now have two locations we need to visit when we come see you across the pond. Exactly. Well, why don't we go ahead and get started? Sounds good. If you would like to support the show, please visit our Patreon page at patreon.com forward slash history goes bump. Or perhaps you just want to make a one-time donation. Click the donate button on our website at historygoesbump.com. Recently, a modern-day murder mystery revealed the indiscretion of a man and a woman. Yara Gabriasio was a 13-year-old girl who had been found murdered in a field in Italy in 2011. DNA was found on the body, and Italian authorities decided to do a massive sweep, and they collected thousands of samples of the DNA of local townspeople. Over 15,000 samples were collected, and it was discovered that one of the samples had some DNA that matched. 
The authorities knew, based on testing, that the sample did not belong to the killer, but that one of his relatives must be the killer. His uncle, Giuseppe Gironi, was a match. The only problem was that Giuseppe had been dead 11 years. So they tested his three children who were not matches. Then the authorities heard the rumors that Giuseppe was quite the ladies' man, and as a bus driver, he had many opportunities to flirt and have affairs with women. 500 women were tested, and Esther Arzufi was a match. Imagine poor Esther having to explain to her husband that she had not only had an affair, but that she was impregnated by another man, giving birth to twins to boot. The twins were tested, and Massimo Giuseppe, how nice she named him for his real father, Bosetti tested positive. He was charged with the murder of Yara in 2014. A murder investigation is certainly an odd way to find out your children are not biologically your children. This day, April 24th, in 1704, the first continuous-running newspaper in America publishes its first issue. That paper was the Boston Newsletter. The postmaster of Boston, John Campbell, was the first editor and the newspaper was published weekly. The paper was originally printed on the front and back of a half sheet of paper. Although the paper was located in Boston, most of the news was not local. English politics were covered as well as news from London. The biggest story to break at the time was the defeat and killing of Blackbeard the Pirate. Campbell turned operations over to the printer of the paper, Bartholomew Green, in 1722. Green began to run more stories that were about local happenings, and when he died, his son, John Draper, took over the paper and improved it greatly. He expanded it to four pages that were bigger than half sheets and localized the news reporting even more. The front page was dedicated to news of London, but the rest of the paper was about Boston and the colonies. In the first issue, there was only one advertisement. Perhaps we should return to the ways of this early paper. You're listening to History Goes Bump. Lep Castle in Ireland had its beginnings in blood and death and is one of the longest continually inhabited castles in the world. Gothic windows and ivy-covered towers give the castle a truly stereotypical look. The history contained within the castle walls is fascinating and covers centuries of war and fires. The best way to describe the history is a murder soap opera. In more recent times, it has been under extensive restoration. Castles and rich histories go hand in hand with hauntings, and Lep Castle has many stories of the supernatural and is considered the most haunted castle in the world. Shocking, I know, on our show. (laughs) I know. We found another most haunted place. We are amazing. (laughs) The most well-known haunting is about the elemental that apparently resides at the castle. Come along with us to Ireland to find out more about this interesting location. The location upon which Lep Castle was built is thought to have been a place where Druid initiation ceremonies were conducted near the town of Roscrea. And I'm hoping I said that right. It's R-O-S-C-R-E-A. An earlier castle that no longer exists was built on the spot. Ireland is a country that used to be home to clans of people. Clans were similar to tribes in that there was much infighting between clans and wars for domination. 
The O'Carroll clan was one of the fiercest clans in Ireland. They ruled over Ireland and had a secondary chieftain clan under them named the O'Banions. It was the O'Banions that started the construction of Lep Castle and built the main tower. The castle was named Liam Ui Banane, which translates to Lep of the O'Banions. The time of this construction is placed somewhere between the 13th and 15th centuries. Now, I know that's a big span, but that's the information that's out there. So somewhere in between those two centuries, this castle went up. John O'Carroll was Prince of Ely, and it is thought that the O'Carroll clan also helped build the initial parts of Lep Castle. He lived there until his death from the plague in the late 1400s. John had a son with a reputation for being a great leader who was very brave. His name was Mulroney O'Carroll, and he ruled from Lep Castle for 42 years. In 1513, the castle was partially destroyed by the Earl of Kildare. Mulroney died in 1532 and was succeeded by his son, Fergenhain, who was ruthless. Legend has it that he killed a dinner guest once at the table. His rule was short-lived. He was murdered in 1541 by the Omoli clan. This launched a bitter rivalry between Fergenhain's three sons and the rest of the clan. Multiple murders would ensue, beginning with Teague the One-Eyed. He had assumed control after his father was murdered, and he then was murdered by his kinsman, Charles O'Carroll. Retribution was dealt out by Teague's younger brother, William the Pale. He killed Charles, and he was then the leader. The O'Connor clan murdered William the Pale in 1581. William's son John took over the reins, and at this point we wonder why anyone would want to be supreme leader. But anyway... I mean, that's a lot. Okay, if you're the leader, you're going to get murdered. Yeah, you think it gets long with like the, in the Bible when it's like, so-and-so beget so-and-so beget so-and-so, and this one's just so-and-so murdered so-and-so, who murdered so-and-so, who murdered the next one. That's why we said it's like a murder soap opera. Absolutely. Anyway, John was murdered by his cousin, the son of Teague the One-Eyed. John's brother Charles avenged him, and he became Prince of Eli and was knighted in 1586. Charles was not a real great guy. He believed he could not trust some of his men, so when they came for payment, he waited until they slept and took some of his trusted men and slew the others, which amounted to about 150 men. Charles found himself murdered in 1600 because of this act. Charles' nephew, John O'Carroll, was given ownership of Lep Castle in 1629, but he would give it to another clan, the Darbys, in 1649 as payment for services. And now all the murdering is going to kind of stop, <laughs> at least uh, between the O'Carrolls. Yes, and if anybody kept who who killed who straight in that, my hat is off to you because I got confused and I was reading it. There will be a test at the end of the podcast. Uh-oh, I failed. <laughs> Jonathan Darby II was a Cromwellian soldier and he took over Lep Castle. There would be a line of Jonathan Darby's who would live at Lep Castle. Jonathan III was tried for treason and sentenced to be hanged, drawn, and quartered, but he was pardoned later. Jonathan V was the last of the line to own Lep Castle. He had no children when he died in 1802, so the property was handed over to his brother, Henry de Astaire Darby. Henry also had no children, so Lep Castle was passed to his brother, John Darby. And then the period between this and further on, I am assuming that the Darby family still had ownership of it, but then they started having caretakers stay at the castle. They weren't really living there anymore. The Irish Civil War began in 1922, and during this time, the castle was gutted by fire. Eleven raiders set fire to it in an early morning hours of July 30, 1922. At the time, a man named Richard Dawkins was the caretaker. 
He was held at gunpoint during the burning. He was given only 20 minutes to get out with his wife and child. It is believed the act was committed as a retaliation for the rents that were raised and the land being sold off around the castle. The rents had been raised to pay for extensions to the central keep. The castle fell into disrepair at this time and was boarded up. Dawkins saved as much of the furnishings as he could. He put the valuables in outbuildings, which were subsequently burglarized several times. The portion of the castle that was not burned during the first fire was burned in a second fire. Townspeople laughed at Dawkins when he asked for their help to save whatever valuables were left. In 1974, Peter Bartlett, an Australian historian, bought the castle and with the help of a builder began restoration. Sean Ryan has owned Lepp Castle since 1991 and has been renovating the castle. The stories of hauntings at the castle are numerous. The castle is considered the most haunted castle in the world. One legend that has arisen that feeds the reason why malevolent spirits are felt at the castle comes from a story that occurred during the bloody rivalry of the O'Carroll clan. It is believed that one of the O'Carrolls was a priest. He was holding a mass at the chapel within the castle, and one of his brothers came in during the mass and plunged a sword into him. Apparently, he was mad that his brother had started the mass before he arrived. I think there's better ways to deal with your anger. You're late for dinner. (laughs) (laughs) Beware. Not only was this a vicious murder, but it happened during a holy ceremony. The chapel is now referred to as the Bloody Chapel. The chapel is illuminated brightly at times and witnessed by many people. This started with the ownership by the Darbys and continues to this day with the Ryans. There's no reason for this illumination to be happening. The ghost of the slain priest is seen at times. He hangs out on the stairwell and is sometimes seen leaving the chapel. Off the chapel is a dungeon that is really an obliate. As we discussed in an earlier podcast, these were basically holes in the ground that people were thrown into. The O'Carrolls were sinister people, and they installed spikes at the bottom of the floor. During renovations, three cartloads of bones were removed from the dungeon. The dungeon was then sealed so that the people could not access it anymore. The O'Carrolls also employed mercenaries to carry out some of the butchery on other clans. They would then invite the mercenaries back for a celebratory meal. That meal was poisoned. Whoever did not die from the poison had their throats cut or they were thrown into the dungeon. One of these clans were the McMahons. They were murdered in their sleep in the castle. Their clan is believed to haunt the Great Hall at Lepp Castle. Recent owner Sean Ryan believes that a male ghost lives in the opiate. Yeah, and when they would throw people down there, if the spikes didn't get you, they'd just leave you down there till you starve to death. So you'd almost hope that you hit the spikes. Like I said, it used to be almost like customary to be like a serial killer, psychotic sociopath. And such an interesting location. Here it is right next to the chapel. So, I don't know, did they bring them through, bless them, and then throw them down? It's, uh, During the times when the Darby family occupied the castle, they claimed the priest's house was haunted. Mildred Darby recounts hauntings as such, quote, There's something heavy that lies on people's beds and snores, and they feel the weight of a great body pressing against them in a room in the priest's house. A burly man in rough clothes like a peasant, he always pushes a heavy barrel up the back stairs of the wing, near the servants' bedrooms, and when just at the top, the barrel rolls down and all disappears. A monk with a tonsure and cowl walks in at one window and out another in the priest's house, end quote. Mildred also had an experience in the muckle hole room. No one knows exactly where this room was originally located in the castle. Mildred wrote an article about the experience in the room and described it as thus, quote, 
I put my hand out of bed, snapping my fingers to call her, Nell, a terrier. My hand was suddenly in the grasp of another hand, a soft, cool hand, at a temperature perceptibly below my own flesh. To say I was astonished would but mildly convey my feelings. After a few seconds of steady pressure, the other hand let go, and almost simultaneously I heard a heavy sliding fall, like a collapse of a large body at the foot of the bed. Then, in absolute stillness of the room, there sounded a deep human groan and some half-articulated words, or to be accurate, prayers. People have complained before, in fact. We don't generally put anyone in there now. The room is called the Muckle or Murder Hole Room, and the story goes that the stain on the floor is the blood of a man stabbed there by his brother. Two O'Carrolls quarreled over the ownership of the castle. The room has been disused for 50 years or more when we did it up. The stain has been planed off the board several times, but it always comes again, creeps up from below in a few hours. End quote. That's creepy. Really creepy. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> here, let's scrub the stain off the floor and it just keeps coming back and keeps coming back. Well, they didn't even just scrub it. Didn't, didn't they say that they, well, they, they planed, planed it off? off. Yeah, so, they, so they took the whole layer of the stain off yeah. and it still comes up through the boards. We have discussed many hauntings by a lady in white, but Lepcastle has a red lady. The story about her is tragic. Legend says that she was kidnapped by the O'Carroll clan and raped. She was impregnated as a result of the rape. When the baby was born, the O'Carrolls killed it. The distraught woman then killed herself. She is seen today as a sad apparition who can be quite menacing. She carries a dagger and raises it in a threatening manner. She's dressed in red and glows. There's an intense cold that follows her in whatever room she appears. A young girl who had lived at the castle in the 1600s fell to her death from one of the castle's battlements. People still see the image of a girl falling from the castle to this day. But there is a story behind the girl's fall. The story reports that the girl may have been pushed to her death by her father's ghost. Apparently she had killed her father one night because of an arranged marriage. He wanted her to marry a rich friend. She was in love with a poor farm boy. The father had the boy killed, so the daughter got revenge. Screams of a young girl are heard throughout the castle. The most famous spirit at the castle is named the Elemental. This spirit is not the ghost of anyone, and based on descriptions, we would say it is something demonic. Theories abound about its origins. It is thought to have originated with the Druids, who may have conjured it during their ceremonies at this location. The Earl of Kildare, who burned the castle in the 1500s, was rumored to be a magician, and some believe he had something to do with using the elemental to curse the place. In the early 1900s, spiritism and dabbling in the occult were fashionable. Mildred Darby had tried her hand at a bit of magic, and it is thought that perhaps she helped to awaken the elemental. She describes an encounter with the creature in an article she wrote for the journal Occult Review in 1909. She wrote, quote, I was standing in the gallery looking down at the main floor when I felt somebody put a hand on my shoulder. The thing was about the size of a sheep, thin, gaunting, shadowy. Its face was human, to be more accurate, inhuman. Its lust in its eyes, which seemed half decomposed in black cavities, stared into mine. The horrible smell, 100 times intensified, came up into my face, giving me a deadly nausea. It was the smell of a decomposing corpse. Or of a quote. dementor. Well, that's what it sounds like, doesn't but it? <laughs> it totally sounds like. I wonder if um, J.K. Rawlings had read something about the elemental. Hmm, interesting, possibly. Because, I mean, when, when you were reading the description... 
I, I had images of Dementors from the movie Harry Potter. Sure. Because they were stinky. They sucked the breath right out of you. Mm. The Ryans claim that they have never encountered the elemental. They've tried to keep the castle a cheery place, and so perhaps they have not provoked the spirit into action. But there have been numerous stories in the 2000s about encounters with the elemental. A group of investigators reported, quote, Our flashlights revealed a huge hole in the stone-floored front hall, and we gingerly made our way around the edge, heading for the spiral staircase. No ghost would make us nervous. We were the Dublin Ghostbusters. Despite our confidence, we found ourselves talking in whispers. A slight sound behind me, and I spun like a ballerina to see the cause. But as I spun around, I slipped and then dropped through the hole in the floor. The flashlight hit a rock and went out. Just above me, just out of reach, I could see the jagged outline of the floor. I could hear friends coming to help me, and then, in that darkness, I could hear a sniffling, snorkely sort of noise. There was a smell, too, a horrid, rotten smell. I am not athletic, but that night, Tara put rockets into my heels. I shot upwards, scrabbling madly, and I made the doorway and did not stop running until I was safely in the car, end quote. Yeah, that that would be me too. If I went through the floor and then something was coming at me, I would be able to spring right out of that floor too. Yeah, so much for being the Dublin Ghostbuster. <laughs> it's more like We're the so Dublin track star. <laughs> like I've always said, do not ever tempt the spirits. Tempt the spirits. And in 2006, another person reported, quote, I looked into the darkness of a corridor that exited the spiral stairway. I became aware of the smell of sulfur. It was as if boxes and boxes of matches had suddenly been lit at once. I looked at my friend who had taken me to visit Lep Castle. He could also smell the sulfur. I stared into the darkness of the corridor and had the impression that a beast like a bear or a lion was staring back at me. The tension was rising like a ticking time bomb. My friend then closed the door and said, To let sleeping dogs lie. Smart me- friend. Yeah. <laughs> that was no sleeping dog. <laughs> Meaning, sometimes you just have to leave things alone. He was a friend of Sean Ryan, and I certainly did not want to disrespect either of them by stirring up the elemental. The elemental has the potential to cause great harm to anyone receiving the brunt of an attack. One belief is that the elemental has the ability to alter the atmospheric pressure, generally lowering it. The polarity of atmospheric ions fluctuates and triggers a condition known as serotonin hyperfunction syndrome. This can cause symptoms such as heart palpitations, nausea, vomiting, sweating, chills, tremor, dizziness, and fatigue. It has also been seen that skin and hair will have an electrical charge. This theory has been generated over the last 10 years, and it is interesting to note similarities between these symptoms to those described by Mildred Darby in the early 1900s. I felt every hair on my head separate and move, for my flesh all over my body and scalp crept and every hair on my head stood straight on end, the absolute weakness that came over me, the seeming cessation of the pulses of life, the grip in heart and brain, the deadly numbness which rendered me incapable of thought, word, or action when I first saw that awful beast. I tell you, Mildred Darby had a way with words, and she saw everything in that castle. Well, I I just think I changed my mind as we're going through this, (laughs) is that I might not mind seeing the outside of Lep Castle, but I don't want to get anywhere near that elemental. Well, as far as I know, you don't stay there overnight. I don't think they do any of that. And I don't know if it's like part of tours or if they have like a ghost tour group that goes through there. Obviously, they let paranormal investigators go through. 
But yeah, um, I wouldn't want to run into it. Although what's funny is Sean Ryan and his wife have lived there for years now. And they say they've never had an encounter with it. So hmm, so maybe it's just the people who are coming in that are tempting it. So yeah, to speak. you stir it up. There you go. Like you said, don't tempt the spirits. Yeah, see, I'm not, I'm not just a, a... I do have a brain. <laughs> I don't think anybody doubted that. Oh, okay. Has the bloody and violent past of Lep Castle led to unrest of the dead? Are these spirits spawned by violence or were they conjured long ago? Are these experiences just figments of the imaginations of those who visit the castle? Is Lep Castle haunted? That is for you to decide. I don't know how this place could not have some kind of haunting going on, just with the past that it had with all the murders and obviously torture and things that went on in the dungeon. I don't see how any castle back in the day would not be haunted just from the mere torture that they would put people through. I'm sure it's got to be, yeah... That's total unrest because that's always what kind of tends to stir that kind of activity up, the paranormals, unrest or grief or whatever, like of that intense kind. And all those castles have it. What always amazes me about these castles is how these people built them back in that time, too. You know, how in the world did they build them as big as they did and get those stones up there? And it just amazes me what people were able to build back then. I know without cranes or anything, anytime I see some of those ancient or older, older structures, I'm just like, it just blows your mind because they didn't have what we have today. And building something like that today is an incredible feat. But back then, what was kind of sad is during the Civil War, when it was burning, that the townspeople didn't even care about it. And they continued to loot it. This uh, Richard Dawkins kept trying to save the stuff and he would lock it up somewhere and they'd come and loot it. And then when it finally burned, they just stood around and laughed, didn't even care. I'm like, don't you at least care about the historical significance of this place? It just, it was surprising to me. Yeah, well, you think things haven't really changed because when we were just in Greece and Turkey this past summer, last summer, not even a year ago, people who would go and do graffiti all over the sculptures and their like protests and stuff like that and these ancient things, that just blew my mind. So it's like human nature is going to come out no matter what century it is. That's true. That's true. And I mean, actually, we're seeing this in the Middle East right now with that ISIS. Some of the things that they're destroying over there are just thousands of years old. And they're oh, just that's breaking right. those statues and everything. And I'm like, you know, even if it's not a part of your religious sect or whatever, that's still historical artifacts and things. And I just, same thing happened in Egypt, which is the next place that we're going to be going to. We're going to do the Valley of the Kings on the, our next podcast And when Egypt was in its turmoil over its leadership, the people went in and looted the museums and stole the artifacts and destroyed them. And just amazing what people will do with that. I'm like, don't you have some kind of appreciation for any of that? Nope. Obviously not. Well, we have an appreciation for that stuff, which is why we bring it to you guys to help keep the history alive out there and maybe keep some of the undead alive as well. (laughs) Wahahaha. So like I said, we are going to be doing the Valley of the Kings for the next show. We hope you join us for that. We thank you for joining us for this one. I have been your host, Diane. And this has been Denise. You take care now. Bye-bye. Be sociable. Drop the chain rattling, neck biting, and shape shifting. And join us on Facebook and Twitter at History Goes Bump. Like the page.